Christians need to stop listening to the world and start listening to God so the thinking Christian becomes as natural as breathing. Welcome to the Thinking Christian Podcast. This is Dr. James Spencer. Through calm, thoughtful, theological conversations, Thinking Christian offers a mix of interviews and discussions that highlight the ways God is working in the lives of his people and question the underlying social, cultural, and political assumptions that keep the church from conforming more closely to the image of Christ. Now, on to today's episode of Thinking Christian. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Thinking Christian. Uh, we are recording this uh, just a couple days after the Iowa caucus results, and you know there's been a lot of conversation uh, about the evangelicals who rock the vote there in Iowa, and uh, the seeming the the seeming contradiction uh, or uh, dichotomy that exists between who the evangelicals voted for, which Trump won the Iowa caucus handily, and um, what Christians claim to believe. And so I'm joined here uh, by Aline Bransla, uh, my friend and colleague, and uh, we're excited to kind of talk through some of these issues and think through what does it look like for Christians to vote their biblical principles? Why is that so difficult? And how is it that we can explain it to people out there in the public so that even if people disagree with our decisions, they're not seeing this as something that is incommensurate with our faith? So that's what that's the ground I hope to cover today. We'll see. <laughs> well, great, great excitement to be back on the, the hottest podcast known in, uh, in 2024, minimum 2024. Minimum, um, yeah. Excited to be back with you, uh, Dr. James Spencer, and to have a good conversation about what is almost new to me as a first-generation immigrant to this great country, uh, and that is American politics, and maybe the new flavor of American politics. Well, let me throw out this this idea, man, because there was a there was a clip that I I okay. ran across. It's actually part of a an interview I did um, uh, earlier today. And uh, they asked me to comment on this clip. We're not going to show the clip, but I'll kind of describe what it is. Um, a, a woman named Tara Setmeyer was essentially offering a pretty harsh critique of evangelicals after the Iowa caucus. And essentially what she was saying was that uh, evangelicals have failed both America and Christianity, that we are not voting along the lines of uh, what we claim to believe and what we preach. Um, and that if we would, if we were going to vote along those lines, um, Trump never would have gotten elected in 2016. We would have avoided the insurrection of January 6th altogether. Um, we wouldn't have kids in cages at the borders. You know, um, all the problems of the world would be solved. And so the basic premise here is um, there is at least in some circles, a high degree of confusion about why evangelicals would vote for Trump. So that's sort of the setup of this uh, of this clip. Now, um, just to give sort of the disclaimer uh, here, or maybe not the disclaimer, but just to give clarity, um, I don't fully understand why evangelicals vote for Trump either. Uh, I am not uh, a necessarily a Trump guy or a, uh, certainly not a make America great again guy, right? Um, I don't really have a particular party affiliation. And, and so um, 
nor do I generally share publicly who I who I vote for. Right. Um, in the era in which I grew up, uh, voting was sort of a more private thing. You didn't tell people who you voted for. You weren't, you know, I mean, there were people who had campaign signs, I suppose, out in their yard. But for most people, you just didn't share it. it you know, you went to the booth, you did it privately, and it was done. And so it, it's sort of an oddity for me, having grown up in that context, to have people know that so many evangelicals have voted or what have you. In any case, what I think we want to discuss here is, you know, is there is there any justification for Setmayer's critique, which I've heard echoed in multiple other places, right? So um, voting for Trump has become sort of a lightning rod and a, um, a challenge, I think, um, uh, where people are questioning evangelical ethics. Um, your thoughts on that, Aline? I, um, I have many, many thoughts about this. I have been um, observing the last years, the last eight, almost eight years now of American politics, um, America under Trump. I have, I have friends that are people of color. I have friends that are people of culture. And I have friends that are Americans. And I have friends that are actually deeply um, Democrats and, and liberal friends in America. And I love the ability to have dialogue and thinking what what is really triggering and really hurtful to them. I would say that I'm not as well, I am concerned about some of the American politics, but I think the gravest concern I have is where the evangelical church has positioned itself in the whirlwind of a, a Trump presidency, which was controversial from a presidency standpoint, right? I think sure. Trump ran this country. This is my observation. I am, call me illiterate in politics, but this is an observation. I think he ran this country as a CEO. Um, and, and the role, the, the office of the president has been now put into some question, right? Because what the question, the big question was, what is really the role of a president? It was interesting. I, I participated. I actually, um, I think the whole country was, gri was, was gripped when, um, when Trump, president, former president Trump debated uh, current president Joe Biden. And I will never forget the distinction between a career politician that looked in the camera and said, I'm for you. I got you. I'm here for you. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I was like, wake up, wake up. <laughs> it felt good. It felt like you see me. I'm, I'm here. And Trump's saying, I'm going to tell you the whole truth. I'll tell you who did this. I'll tell you who did this. And I'm like, no, shh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. <laughs> but such a massive distinction between a career politician, somebody that knows how to handle the office of the president, all this, and somebody that is there, moves from a CEO, from he was the 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 you know the the dream maker of America, the person that everybody would look to to say, if I if I grow up, I want to be like Trump, successful, money, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But the position of the evangelical church has concerned me. So I want to offer uh, James. I want to offer. I got invited to speak at a um, the reunion of the largest reunion of I would say the influential official pastors in the Romanian American community on the West Coast, and they yeah. invited me to speak, and they assigned a topic to me which was fascinating to me. It was a wake-up call to me. The topic was the outside perspective of the Romanian-American church. And I'm like, why am I the outsider? 
Why am I speaking as the outside perspective of the Romanian American church? But I offer you this reflection. It's a short reflection because I'm curious if you think that this actually is the danger of the American evangelical church in the wake of um, the president Trump's hurricane uh, uh, presidency. Um, I, I I stood in front of that that this distinguished audience of senior pastors that have done a tremendous, wonderful job here, and I said I believe that the Romanian Romanian American church in America is number one invisible, and that is because it's it is actually uh, in a, in a melting pot, and not a lot of people and the people that are listening to us. Please think about the last time you passed by a Romanian American church and you saw anything there. You just saw a sign in letters that you didn't understood. You moved past and you have no idea what those people are doing in there. It's completely invisible to your eyes in America. Number two, it's also irresponsible. And the the reason it's irresponsible is because at large, most likely, all Romanians that land in America are instantly conservative. They fly a 10-hour flight from Europe, and as soon as they land, I mean, the land, just as soon as they land, they're like, we vote for Trump, and we're conservative, and we're this, and uh, the people of color are this, and they're making statements that are just really controversial. And that's where I call that conflation between, um, you know, the being conservative and being Christian, that I think it's, it's a degree of irresponsibility. And the fourth one is, if you're invisible and if you're irresponsible, you quickly become irrelevant. And and I shared this with the pastors and led into a great conversation. But I think this is what, this is where it's the concern of the evangelical church in the wake of a strong voice of, of President Trump that is, is somehow portraying himself as the defender of the Christian church, as the defender of the evangelicals. Um, to be invisible, so that, that we we see less and less of the church, we see more and more of the evangelical politics. To be irresponsible of of not loving all people, to not really loving um, the world and, and and loving the people in the world, but rather be consumed with the world. And I think that is going to lead to some level of being um, uh, just not efficient in in, in this culture. It's interesting. I, I don't know whether I would have called uh, evangelicals invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think I agree with you that, you know, what we're not seeing is the church. What we're seeing is a the emergence of a political lobby. Yes, yes. And so um, we're not doing a good job of uh representing why it is that we would ever participate in american politics in the first place how we make our decisions as we participate in american politics and why it is that those things are aligned with the christian faith and thus i think you're right i think we're becoming um to use your term invisible as a church but highly visible in, yes. in an unfortunate way, mm-hmm. uh, again, as another lobbying group. Um, I, I like the com- I liked the language of irresponsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that um, I would frame the evangelical church's irresponsibility a little differently. Okay. Um, I tend to agree to a certain extent 
with Sutmeyer, who made these comments in this segment, that the evangelical church has failed Christianity in America. Um, because as we flow from invisibility as a church, visibility as a lobbying group, what I think the irresponsibility is that the evangelicals have not demonstrated themselves to be a people apart. They have, they have not demonstrated themselves to be um, a people who are so willing to be different for the sake of others that they can provide a true alternative to the politics of the world. And in that is a sense of responsibility or irresponsibility. Um, yes. Again, I don't know that I would pin that only on voting for Trump. Yeah. Right. Um, arguably, you could have had the same thing if uh, evangelicals in Iowa had voted for DeSantis or Nikki Haley or, or um, Vivek. Or, you know, like, it doesn't matter who they vote for. The point is that once evangelicalism becomes more of a political lobbying group than a church, mm -hmm. they've abdicated a sense of responsibility that comes with actually presenting themselves as a church. And so I, that's where I see the failure really coming in. Um, and then I think irrelevance is uh, basically that. Um, I, I think that because we have so focused on, and, and the way I would say this one, again, just a little bit of reframing on it. Here's what I'd say. The church makes much of God. A lobbying group makes much of politics. And so what we're really doing is we're making God irrelevant. And in this sense, um, he is no longer infinitely greater than any other actor or factor with which we interact. Yes. Yes. Right. He is, he is now just another factor, mm -hmm. right? He's maybe a factor that informs our voting. But let's face it, if we don't get to the polls, uh, nothing's going to change. That is not, in my mind, a theologically true statement. <laughs> it's just not. Um, you know, we do not need uh, the government to reform and restore society. That is part of the governance, government's role. But if we look at the way God has used governments throughout the ages, we don't necessarily see pious moral rulers uh always moving society forward for the better we don't see that sometimes what we see is a purging of nations there um to, to sort of channel um genesis 15 18 um 15 16 one of those two 15 16 or 15 18 you know as the iniquity of the amorites becomes complete now god can move israel into the land but until that point, when the Amorites iniquity becomes complete, they are going to continue to inhabit that land. And so what we find in part in the Old Testament, part of that picture is nations are used against nations to move one nation out when it has been sufficiently disobedient and to move another nation in until it has become also sufficiently disobedient and is going to be moved out as well. We see this particularly in Jeremiah 25, where um, Babylon uh, takes Israel into exile, and God says, I will also be punishing Babylon in the future for the acts that they have committed here today. 
And so nations don't get by with things, right? In other words, they are still under God's authority. And so um, I think in that sense, when we think about irrelevance, what we're doing is we are increasing the relevance of the political realm, the, the temporal, material, um, state of the nation sort of realm in which politics tend to exist. And we are diminishing the realm of the powers, the principalities that we are to be struggling against as a people called by Christ to be the church. And so I, I really like those three words that you're giving. I think within the, especially, you know, these comments that, uh, that Tara Sotomayor made were against white evangelicals. And so when we think about the white evangelical church, which may very well include Romanians these days, yeah. like who yes. knows, right? Um, you're right. But I do think that there are three words and, and three characteristics that are very appropriate to what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, let's take just a quick break here, Aline, and then when we come back, uh, we can continue discussing uh, maybe how we should go about or how we might think about making some of these decisions, almost offering an apologetic for evangelical choices within uh, the political realm. So let's take a quick break and we'll come back for that. It goes without saying, but the Bible has changed so many lives. Take a second and think about it. If you didn't have access to a Bible or were even allowed to have one, this is a reality that many are facing. That's why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country, and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my book, Christian Resistance. Simply text THINKING to 71326 to help today. That's T-H-I-N-K-I-N-G. Or visit give.crew.org backslash thinking. Again, that's give.cru.org backslash thinking. Message and data rates may apply. Available to U.S. addresses only. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, we are talking about uh, the Iowa caucus, the, uh, the landslide victory of Trump in the Republican primaries, and really the role of evangelicals uh, in that process. And so before the break, um, we were going to start talking a little bit about a decision-making matrix almost. Um, what, how is it that evangelicals can start making good political decisions and sort of 
I don't want to say balance because I think that's the wrong word, but how do we deal with this notion that we are almost always going to make decisions, choose candidates who are not aligned completely with the Bible, with biblical authority? Um, you know, we're going to, in other words, it, it goes a little bit beyond we're going to elect an imperfect candidate. I think we can kind of concede that point. Um, but I think what we're what we're looking at is they are going to um, represent policies that would contradict, stand against a biblical perspective. So, any thoughts on how we go about sort of thinking through that decision, Aline? Yes, I think before we even um, put our finger on that, I, I want to draw us to another aspect of. Where where we find Christianity in our generation, because okay. I think it ties directly to why we may be making these decisions and mm. maybe the brokenness of what we have to fix before we're making these decisions. The generation I grew up with Americas are generations that wanted to save the world. Yeah. Uh, even Michael Jackson said, save the world, make it a better place. Right. Yeah. Um, so so you had American missionaries that carried with them. A flavor of colonialism, but it was actually that that was with some level of pure invent because they wanted to go out there in the world. The 80-20 window, it was really all about saving the world. Right. And um and, and that has somewhat died down. I don't think we put a label on what kind of flavor we are experiencing right now. In many conversations I've had with you, one thing that I loved was um the the aspect of being witnesses to god but i think what you were putting your finger on is our tendency right now to fix the world whether it's with social justice whether it's with some of the things that, but we want to fix the world and we realize that in fixing the world we're already trying to resolve a problem that is really not ours to, to resolve what we need for that the tool that we need for that is power <laughs> we need to fix this world but what do we need if we need something we need the government because the world has lost its mind, it's going into LGBTQ, it's going into, you know, the liberals are destroying America. All these words that we are now, and the reason I actually even, even um, shared a glimpse of a private conversation in a, in a sacred conversation with the Romanian pastors, which they were really gracious, and we had a great conversation. And me being poor in my heart with, with being irresponsible, it had to do with the fact that, and being, being irresponsible had to do with the fact that when we land in America, we become conservatives. We repeat words that we don't know the meaning of because we mm. don't have shared experiences with Americans. So sure. when we say things about, have you seen the people of color doing this? Have you seen the LGBTQ? We really don't know exactly what those mean behind them, but we repeat them because we somehow tend to agree with them without understanding the meaning. Yeah. And so when we start repeating and when we start using, when, when younger evangelicals are, are now taking positions, I have a fear that this this political year finds us in a crisis as an evangelical church and that crisis is we don't want to save the world anymore that's gone we want to fix the world we need politics for it and now we're paying more attention because we want the government to fix a little bit more than we care for and i i'm, I'm concerned about that because if that's not if, if i'm missing this if i'm missing seeing this i'd be happy to be wrong um and but i really believe we're called to completely something else that's what I'm trying to, to call into. So that before we even talk about decisions, because I see I see a series of decisions that are really becoming problematic now. Maybe they're coming from that space. 
no, I think it's a great way to start. Uh, I mean, uh, um, I've been, I've read uh, a book by James Gibson, um, an ecological approach to visual perception. And, uh, you know, total geek book, right? Um, like a lot of footnotes, old school stuff has nothing to do with theology. So don't read it. But um, <laughs> I read it. So let me give you a little quick synopsis. Uh, basically, what Gibson says uh -huh. is um, bigger units or, or smaller units are nested in bigger units, right? That's one of his main points. Mm -hmm. Like smaller units are nested in bigger units. And so um, as we sort of scan out, right, what we're trying to get to, to understand where we are in the world and how to interact with the world that we're in, we want to understand that we're in the biggest unit possible. So the way I picture this, um, if we think about living life at the bottom of the well, and we, we suspend for a moment how it is that we got in the bottom of the well, right? We don't, we don't know how we got there. We don't care how we got there. We just know we've been living there. And we're looking up from the bottom of this well, and all we see is that small circle of light at the top. Now, there are a lot of truthful observations we can make about the world based on what we see through that hole at the top of the well. But they're going to be extremely limited. Because we're enabled, having been trapped at the bottom of this well, to see the bigger picture. In other words, we're trapped within a smaller unit. We can't see the bigger unit with which in, in which we're nested. And I tend to think that's politics. Politics is the well. Right? Yes. And it, it creates within us a tunnel vision that we don't need to have, particularly mm -hmm. as Christians. Because we've had this broader world shown to us, right? And so to your point, I think um, as we think about how do you make decisions for voting, we have to first recognize that politics is the well. And that most people participating in politics only see life through the well. Yes. And for Christians, what we're seeing is we're seeing the well as part of God's broader ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And so we're not trapped in the well. We've got resources beyond, you know, the old bucket that fell down or, you know, the brick walls or whatever <laughs> happens to fall down into this thing. Like we've got all these different things we can do. There's no need for us to climb down to the bottom of the well and go, well, I guess we're out of options. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think you're absolutely right in bringing this up because to start our decision-making process, we have to frame our decisions within the biggest unit. And God is that biggest unit. We are nested within uh, a world in which God is the creator and redeemer. And I would argue that all of our actions really need to be nested within worship. So uh, John Piper talks about this in terms of mission. And he basically yes. says, um, you know, mission is not ultimate. <laughs> worship is ultimate. Right. Yes. Worship will continue. Mission will end. Right. Mission is something we do now uh, because we can't worship all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, and, yeah. and I would say the same for politics. Politics is not ultimate. It'll end. But worship never will. And so we need to be focused on the ultimate as we do the less than ultimate. Uh, so that's part of, I think, the decision-making process that Christians really need to wrestle with is our starting point. Our starting point is always, we love God. Now, because we love God, 
because we love God, because we worship God. Now, through that love, we learn how to love neighbor. Yes. And as we look at how do we love neighbor, now we can start thinking through, okay, how do we order the way that we love our neighbor? That ordering of love, Augustine talks about this an awful lot, the orders of love or the ordering of loves, right? Augustine essentially argues that um, our problem in relationships is not that we, uh, we have a lack of concern for other people. It's that are there is a proliferation of loves for us to choose from and we often get distracted and so what we need is the love of god to reorient and order those loves for us to give us this sort of sense of what it is that we're supposed to do next now i don't think that results in sort of a hard orthodox order right where it has to be number one do this number two do this number three do this it's not going to end up being a recipe list But I think as a general guide, what we're looking at is we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. That love informs the way then that we love neighbors. And we begin to to participate in politics such that we demonstrate the love of God through love of neighbor. That is, in, in, in broad strokes, the decision process that I think most Christians need to go through. As opposed to using something like, let's say, an ethical framework, right? And asking ourselves, which is the higher good or something like that, right? our, our, Our ethics don't derive from higher goods. They really derive from God. And so through that worship, we learn and we see what it means to love other people. Yeah, I, I really love the framework of love um we love because he first loved us and and just knowing yeah. what that what how powerful that is that it actually reframes um even what i love i i love that god always tries to cleanse us from the love of the material things because yeah. we somehow always tend to just grab and hold on some of those things that we can we can hold on them and i'm yeah. like it's such a small thing compared to eternity let it go <laughs> And we start loving those things, right? That's why you can't love the material. Um, I'm not trying to make, I want to make a distinction. I'm not trying to make a parallel between uh, this year, this election year, and Dante's Inferno. I'm not trying to make, I'm not trying to say it's going to be a hell of a year. I'm not trying to say that. But it was, it was interesting to think about the levels of when when Dante wrote about the inferno, right? He said that there are layers and layers and layers. And, and you know, the first the first cycle, you know, is limbo. Then there's lust and gluttony and then greed and anger and there's heresy and violence and fraud is the eighth circle and all the way down to the deepest level of hell, right? It's treachery. So it's basically betrayal of country and betrayal, right? It's it, there's such a small nugget of truth in that. Cause I'm curious if you were to do a levels of heaven <laughs> for, for uh, evangelical Christians in America, right? What would be at the top of the priority as the inferno gets down to the, the worst level of person in America, somebody that doesn't love America, right? Somebody yeah. that, that betrayed. 
but what is the highest form of priority for evangelical Christians? And I, I pick on evangelical Christians because I'm an evangelical Christian, and, and I do think we have a different responsibility than any group, than any political group, of, of really sharing the truth of the gospel. And that responsibility put on us is huge, it's massive. We cannot paint that with anything. And, and I see it. I see it in the way we react. I see it in the, in the battles. But what would be the highest form of heaven on earth? Every time we pray, your will be done, God, right? As in heaven on earth, when we are now celebrating and we're so excited about a win, that is, is what is telling me that this is going to be definitely a hell of a year, right? This is going to be a one, an interesting year in America. Yeah, I'll I'll answer real quick, and then and maybe we can continue after the break. But what I would say is, you know, I think for many evangelicals, um, what tops the list are are sort of hot button issues, right? So things like abortion, um, top the list, and have traditionally topped the list. Now, yeah. um, there's part of me that says that, and then you know I look at statistics right why evangelicals voted for trump the first the first time around and what you see is um that many evangelicals voted for trump because of economic reasons and so you know there is a sense in which prosperity which there is a movement toward prosperity gospel even these days um prosperity may very well top that list and moral issues may come in second third or fourth um, so even the, even saying, you know, abortion tops the list, I think may be, um, it may be the most frequent talking point, but when people are filling out their surveys and they're answering their questions, it tends not to come out on top. And I, and I think that's a little bit concerning. And so if we are making our decision based on how we can be maximally prosperous, um, that's a scary thought, but I, I think at the very least, you know, some of the statistics I've seen, they suggest that, and that means that evangelicals need to really rethink why it is that we're voting for the person we're voting for. Um, obviously I think that's a mix of reasons, right? Um, moral, economic, you know, all those different sort of mixes. Um, but one aspect, and I'd like to return to this after the break, one aspect that I think we don't think about often enough when we're voting is how it is that supporting a particular political candidate limits our ability to be all things to all people that we might save some. And so um, that's where I'd kind of like to return after this break. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back. It goes without saying, but the Bible has changed so many lives. Take a second and think about it. If you didn't have access to a Bible or were even allowed to have one, this is a reality that many are facing. That's why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country, and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my book, Christian Resistance. Simply text THINKING to 71326 to help today. That's T-H-I-N-K-I-N-G. 
or visit give.cru.org backslash thinking. Again, that's give.cru.org backslash thinking. Message and data rates may apply. Available to U.S. addresses only. Hey, everybody. Welcome back uh, to this episode of Thinking Christian. Uh, before the break, we were just kind of discussing, you know, what what do we think tops the list uh, for evangelicals when they go to the polls and think about um, issues when they're voting? And um, I suggested just um, one of the things that we might want to consider more deeply is how it is that voting for a particular political candidate, um, you know, endorsing uh, vocally, publicly coming out for a particular political candidate uh, may hinder us from being all things to all people that we might save some. Um, Aline, any thoughts on that or? Yeah, that, that speaks to our identity and to who we are as Christians. Um, I do look up to the writings of, Paul, of, of Apostle Paul. I think he he is a unique voice, uh, not just in, in Scripture, but in the world that has left a strong echo. And he could have been, he was a Roman citizen, he could have been a really good uh, leader, I'm, I, really in mind. Yeah. And when when you hear somebody like that to say that I count everything as garbage compared to like I count everything, everything with his yeah. his education, his everything compared to the calling of sharing the gospel. You 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 are humbled. I mean that that has to really just make somebody really sober on all achievements, on all political structures, on all things that are happening compared to the great calling of sharing the gospel. So when somebody is like like that is saying I'm willing to put aside all all other things. And I'm willing to actually have a conversation with somebody that is a liberal and say, you know, there's some things that I appreciate about how you view the world. Mm-hmm. Right? How hard are those words coming out of our mouths, <laughs> talking to somebody that is so different politically than we are in this generation. Um, I, uh, I, I remember I was in England um, uh, sitting across the table from somebody. So, and I was positioning myself a little bit more conservative. I, I think at best I'm a centrist. But back in the day, I was a little bit more conservative. Sitting across from somebody that was liberal, and, and she said, I can't believe that somebody can be a Christian and be a conservative. Mm. And my response is like, I can't believe somebody can be a Christian and be a liberal. <laughs> and we are sitting across the table, and I am still grieved on that in that conversation because we're, we were both missing the point. We were both missing the point by miles and hundreds of miles, right? Because thinking through that is saying that somebody that is is in more democratic their views and more liberal in their views they're more consumed with the person and somebody who's more conservative is more consumed with the structures both are needed both conversations are very much needed but on top of that the different game that we talked about in a different podcast is being yeah. part of a different platform you are consumed with the things of the kingdom that's what i love about what apostle paul is saying there yeah I think that's a good way to put it, consumed with the things of the kingdom. And so as we go to the polls, there is a way for us to be consumed with the, mm-hmm. uh, and, and here's the mistake that I think, I don't even know there it's a mistake. I, I'll call it an overemphasis. I think here's the overemphasis. Okay. Um, as we look at moral issues like abortion, even things like immigration, if we look at the economy, any of these issues that we look at that we would consider to be uh, fairly strong political issues. We generally frame them as political. Mm-hmm. 
These issues are also theological. And they are, as such, they are ecclesial. In other words, they're church issues. And so what I would argue is that um, part of the overemphasis we're making, we are saying, look, these problems can only be solved through political action. And I think that's a mistake. Um, it, it's something I've talked about on the podcast previously. I, I call it cheap participation, right? So when you go through the grocery line, um, you know, like around Thanksgiving or Christmas, they do this a lot. And they're like, hey, would you like to round up uh, to help uh, feed a family for Thanksgiving? Would you like to round up to feed a family for Christmas? And, you know, I, I mean, it might be 15 cents. Right. And, you know, intuitively that that 15 cents is going to add up and this is going to have an impact. And so um, I don't have a problem with rounding up. In fact, I usually do it. Right. So let's round up. Great. The danger in rounding up is in thinking that in rounding up, you've done all you need to do. That's what I mean by cheap participation. Rounding up is about the easiest thing in the world to do. Right. <laughs> Occasionally it comes out to like five cents. Yeah, no problem, right? Yes. And so it's cheap participation. It really requires no effort on my part other than to push a button on a screen. I'm actually yes. just depressing an extra button. That's all I'm doing. I'm saying an extra yes in answer to a cashier. That is cheap participation. And so my concern sometimes with um, Christians and the political process is that we are participating cheaply by voting. That, that voting becomes all we need to do to solve these issues. Yes. And, and so I, I think that's an overemphasis, again, that we, we may be falling prey to. We're overemphasizing the significance of politics, and we're underemphasizing the myriad of ways that the church can plug in and do something about these issues outside the political realm. And so we spend a lot of time and a lot of energy. I mean, we're, we've spent multiple podcasts on this, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so, um, and, and I don't mind talking about this stuff, but the reality is, right, what we keep coming back to is just this. The world needs the church. Yes. The world needs the church. And if the world does not have the church, guess what? It's always going to be the world. <laughs> yeah, always. Because in thinking that we need political power to fix these issues, we've already lost. Yes. We, we've missed yes. something, right? Yes. yes. And, and so um, that is, to me, sort of where Paul's statement about being all things to all people that we might save some starts to come in. That statement and, and approaching politics from that perspective gives us a true alternative that most of us don't think about, which is non-participation. Yes. Now, I'm not arguing for non-participation. Right. I am saying that it uh -huh. needs to be a viable option within Christian thinking. Because we yes. care so much about reaching the lost that we are willing to become all things to all people that we might save some. Yes. Part of what we're seeing in these critiques uh, coming out, as I, as I mentioned before, the uh, Tara Centermeyer, you know, is able to uh, critique evangelicals the way she is because we've surfaced. Yes, right. We have. We've made it known. Hey, we're evangelicals and we're voting for Trump. Yes. And so, you know, there's only a couple ways to solve that. Uh -huh. Right? Either 
don't claim evangelical on the voting sheet. Not mm -hmm. telling you not to be evangelical in daily life, right? Not at all. But maybe the government doesn't need to know that you're evangelical, <laughs> right? Maybe they don't need it for their stat sheet. Maybe that's just their problem, not ours. <laughs> um, but then the other way of it is just don't vote. <laughs> at, at the end of the day, you know, we have to trust that whether we vote or not, God is going to put the man who, who he wants, man or woman, who he wants in charge, in charge. Like, nobody voted for Caesar. Yes. Right? Nobody raised their hand for Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus in the Old Testament, right? <laughs> like, these guys are just in charge. And, and so uh, I think that while, yes, it's appropriate for us to participate in the mechanism, we also need to be really thinking this through from a thick theological perspective. And yes. saying, at what point does participation in politics do, do more damage than it does good? And are there ways that we could reorient our efforts or add to our efforts, right? Not abandon politics 100%, but to say, we're not going to spend as much time on this as we used to because we're going to be doing church things. We're, we're going to be doing the, the politics of the church. We're going to be yes. serving and caring for, for people. We're going to mobilize in that direction. Uh, I don't think there's an easy solution here, right? Like, I don't, I'm not arguing that there is some utopia that we can find if we'd only do it a different way. I think that's ridiculous, right? But I do think that there are avenues of faithfulness that we very seldom explore because we bought into this idea that there's a political system that we have to participate in. Yes, yes. And I think that when we buy into that given... Right. Not that that not that it's bad to participate, but when we buy into that given, when it becomes a have to, mm -hmm. a must, we have made a category mistake. Yes. And that we have skews to our thinking. Two, we have to choose between the two evils. Yes, that's right. right. That's right. And, and you know what the reality is? We don't. You don't. <laughs> right. We don't. We have other Especially options available to us. Right. We're yeah. not we're not caught in the well. And, and so, you know. We're not at the bottom of the well. We can see the whole bigger picture. We have plenty of other options we can exercise. And if it's going to create such tumultuous craziness to support one party or another, one candidate or another, or whatever, maybe there are better ways for us to do this that would allow us to be all things to all people that we might save some. Yes, there, there's some there's some good news in this. There's some serendipity. There's a, there's a silver lining. Here's the silver lining. You, you might not agree with me, and I'm I'm fine with that. But but here's the silver lining for me. The world knows what it means for us to be Christian. So the world knows what a Christian should look like. Uh, yes. I, I grew up in a place where yes, it, it was it was not cheap to be a Christian. So not a lot of people not a lot of people was were Christians because you got beat up with the government and it was like, you know, it was not it was, it was not cheap to be a Christian. It, it right. meant something. But that came with some some advantages. Because for example, you got pulled over by the cops, right? And the mm -hmm. cop was like, have you been drinking, sir? Right? And you're like, no, I'm a Christian. And the cop would never waste one of his tools over there to check if you're if you're um uh drunk because you just said I'm a Christian. So he was like, yeah, I know this guy doesn't drink because he was a Christian. Now Again, this is this is you know communism sure. hardcore. Like I'm saying that that's the value of Christianity that you don't drink, but it meant something in the marketplace so strong. When you said you're a Christian, the world immediately said, "Hey, what are you doing here? Aren't you a Christian? What are you? Are, why are you laughing at this joke? Aren't you a Christian? Why are you doing this?" 
and it would always correct. It's interesting to me how well the world knows what it means to be a Christian, even when they this when you know they're saying they're acting like they don't know. They know very right. well. In this generation, in America, right now, the world, however you define that system, is screaming at the church and saying, "What are you doing?" Yeah. Why are you embracing a, a political system? Why are you embracing a political candidate like it's yours? It's actually screaming at the church and saying, what are you doing? This right. is not what it means to be a Christian. And, and I really think we need to listen to that voice. I think that voice should teach us something. Why is the world screaming at us? Exactly like the article that you mentioned. You have failed America and you have failed Christianity. But when, where they're screaming that, that means they need you to be the church. They need you to be there, even though they disagree fundamentally with you, but they need you to be there. Because without that faith, without the person of faith, the entire system would collapse. Yeah, and I, I think ultimately it's a really great place for us to sort of close this out. Because what I would say is I, I heartily agree with that. I do find it fascinating and and perhaps politically expedient. Uh, that people uh, conveniently know what the church should be like when the church does something that they disagree with. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, I think what people would really like is for the church to swing around and serve their politics as opposed to the their um, you know the other people's politics. But I, yes. I think what the point you're making is absolutely correct is that you know there is a way that people understand who Christians are supposed to be, that we are supposed to be different, that we're supposed to be more, maybe above it all in some yes. ways. I'm not saying yeah. holier than thou, but actually sort of thinking on a different plane. And not consumed with Right. And, and in voting for Trump, um, at least, you know, certain commentators are sitting back going, this doesn't seem like you're above it all. It seems like <laughs> you're down in the mud with the rest of us. What are you doing? And so I, I think it is a good wake-up call for us Mm -hmm. to start rethinking how we evaluate, how we explain mm -hmm. why it is that we're making the political decisions we are, you know, and I do think yes. a lot of, there are a lot of great resources out there. Um, uh, Augustine's ordering of loves, I think is a great one, you know, thinking through it that in, from that perspective, but then I'd also just, you know, mind the scriptures. Yes. Um, Cause yes. I, you know, it's a, it's a much more recent thought for me mm -hmm. to begin wrestling with, if Paul is telling me to be all things to all people that I might save some, how do you do that in a democracy where you have two candidates and it is um, very transparent who you voted for? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I mean, Paul didn't have that problem, right? Caesar wasn't elected. And, and so Paul's talking about it in a very different context. He's talking about it in terms of, you know, Jew Gentile relationships and various different things, but um, you know, Paul would have still been fairly public. It's not like he's not going to have anybody, you know, taking pot shots at his decisions. We're always going to have to deal with this. And so I think we need to wrestle the ground what Paul is really saying there. And yes. because at the end of the day, um, even if Trump got elected, if Biden gets elected again, whoever gets elected, right? It's four years. Mm -hmm. It's four years versus the eternal salvation of someone that we could potentially reach if we were just willing to set back and say, our task is not electing the right guy. Our task is serving the right God. Yes. And, and yep. so that that's where I think we need to focus as Christians. I agree wholeheartedly. So folks, 
Um, as you're making your voting decisions, you know, obviously I don't have, and I don't think Aline has any clear cut advice for you, right? Nope. We're not going to tell you what, what hold the punch the on the voter booth. You know, we're not, we're not going to tell you who to cast a vote for. Um, we're not even going to tell you what issues you should have at the top of your priority list. But what, what I think we would say is just this, um, what it means to think Christian about these issues is to make God the most relevant factor in the room. Yes. to make much of God. And yes. to the extent that we can point to and magnify him through the decisions we make in politics, we're doing the right things. That's true. So, uh, James, would you please, uh, I got a chance to preview your Serpents and Doves uh, does work. I got a chance to just read a little draft of that, and I'm excited about what that's coming out. Could you please give just one quick shout out on because I think that's tremendously important. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'd encourage people um, take a look. Um, you know, sign up at usefulthegod.com. Uh, download one of our pieces from there. Um, I have a new book coming out called Serpents and Doves: uh, Christian Politics and the Art of Bearing Witness. And uh, I go into greater depth on a lot of these issues in the book, um, as well as just dealing with some basic biblical concepts and trying to wrestle to the ground what it means to um, have the church distinguished from the state. Uh, it should be coming out sometime in February, and uh, so I'm excited to to offer it, and I uh, would encourage you to just go over to usefulthegod.com, sign up for something, and then you're on our email list, and you'll get a va uh, notice when uh, the book comes out. It'll be available on amazon.com. So, um, yeah, look forward to that, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, it will be a help to folks as they move into the voting season. Yes, 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 yes. It's going to be a great year. <laughs> All right, everybody. Aline, thanks for being here. Uh, folks, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll look forward to having you back on the next episode of Thinking Christian. Take care, everybody. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the Thinking Christian podcast. Life Audio. In a world where relationships are easily broken and often discarded, the Rebuilding Us Marriage Podcast is your lighthouse guiding the way to hope, restoration, and transformation in Christ. I'm your host and marriage coach, Dana Shea. Join me as we discuss the necessary tools for rebuilding marriages from adversity, betrayal, and disconnection. It's time to reignite love as we rebuild marriages from the ground up. Listen to the Rebuilding Us Marriage podcast on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.